This is Future Sight, a show from Capgemini Invent. I'm Liz Lunier. On this show, we explore new ways for you to adapt and grow for the future in business. This week, we're going to be looking into what the future of the relationship between AI and our emotions is. Joining me on the show today, I have Michael. Hi, I'm Michael, and I'm the founder and CEO of Tony. And Florian. Hi, I'm Florian. I'm working for Capgemini Invent in the field of procurement transformation projects. All right. Well, before we dig into the world of artificial intelligence, Florian, why don't you tell me about what role emotion can play in technology and in business? To give you a very straightforward answer, I think that actually emotions play a huge role because at the end of the day, most business relationships come down to trusting one another, to building trusting and long-lasting relationships. And this is, of course, where emotions are highly relevant. So if you look into different uh, corporate functions, uh, there's a lot of people that would actually say at the end of the day, it comes down to a people business, to building trusting relationships, to building trust, to choosing the business partner that you would actually trust to solve a problem or to deliver a product for you. At the end of the day, in my view, it's directly connected to emotions. Okay. So when you say that, how would we measure emotions? I think that's where in the past it was quite cumbersome because there were a lot of experience that you would actually gain from being in business, working as a professional in a different uh, department for uh, numerous years, and you would actually get a feeling for emotion for your counterpart that you would interact with. But uh, that was a little bit the struggle in the past decades. Of course, there were solutions and means, but it was nothing that could be used in a simple business context. So now today you're saying that with technology, we could potentially start measuring it with technology. So can you give me an idea of how that might work? So measuring of emotions was sort of stuck in the last century as we still use questionnaires or use observations, interviews to measure emotions. But there are new developments right now. So it started actually in the late 90s with the term of effective computing, which is the science of measuring emotions and simulating also emotions. And artificial intelligence really developed heavily during the last years, and it helps us to classify human emotions. And to classify human emotions, you need some sources of human data, which could be the voice, So you can differentiate between a moderate voice or urgent voice, can also be facial expressions. Everybody of us has muscles in the face, and if they move, you can classify and say, this is a happy person, this is an angry person, and you can derive some of the basic emotions out of that. And last but not least, you also can use biometric data, for example, the heart rate or the heart rate variability or the electrodermal activity of the skin, the temperature. And these are all signs because these are physiological signs which actually have a counterpart, psychological states or affective states, which can be measured. So think, for example, of a dog and you're afraid of dogs. You see a dog in front of you showing its teeth. And you fear the dog, probably, and what happens is the pupils are widened, you have some more adrenaline, the heart rate is increasing. So there's this 
counterpart and you can measure the fear based on the biometric data then. And that's the idea to measure human data, could be the face, could be the voice, could be biometric data, and then classify the human emotions from that, which can then be detected more and more automatically with the help of artificial intelligence. Okay. Well, I've seen some of that on TV before on some of my procedurals and things like that, where they look at the person and they are able to judge. So what would be the challenges in measuring this motion from a technology perspective? And can we fool technology? In general, yes, you can fool technology, but you can also fool humans. And it's not very easy to detect emotions. So the best machine I know for detecting human emotions are persons or humans because they're used to it and they do it all the time. And what we try to do is to come close to that. But also humans fail as technology do. And I think what I often hear is a sort of misconception. I often hear, oh, this algorithm, it was wrong. It failed. It does not work. And it's a misconception because in AI, it's about probabilities. So you can say this person has an 80% probability of being happy or angry or 90% or 60%. So there's always the option of having false values. So we for sure try to get as close as possible to 100%, but it's not about it works or does not work. It's about probabilities and that's behind the AI classification. And over the time, the artificial intelligence gets better and better with more labeled training data, with improved algorithms. And in the end, it's quite hard. So if I take the idea of facial expression analysis or detection, you have to take into account so many aspects like does the person has facial hair? Does the person has glasses? How large is the frame of the glass and does it cover the eyebrows, for example? What about the lighting, the skin color? Is the person speaking or not? Is the camera position? So there are so many factors and so many variables you have to take into account and you have to train in order to improve the algorithm. So in the end, you have to train the algorithms to get better and better and better and have a higher probability to predict the right emotion of a person. That's the challenge. I can imagine. And speaking of that, you know, emotions are very, well, emotional. And they're very highly personalized and very individualized. So what about the ethics of actually measuring and analyzing them? I think the ethics, not only in emotion AI, but especially for sure in emotion AI, will become more and more important because, as you said, emotions are highly personalized. You give something to another person, it gets analyzed. And if you talk to people, either if they speak it out loud or not, it's truly ambivalent. So there's a fear of dark patterns, of being manipulated, of surveillance. On the other side, if you can detect emotions, you can really create a safer and healthier world, safer and healthier products and services and more emotionally intelligent one. But it's a truly ambivalent topic and we have to be very aware of that. So ethics will have a top priority in AI development. 
And I think also the profession of software engineers or AI engineers have to have this in a sort of codex, like, you know, from medicine or journalism. So it should be integrated in a codex profession-wise. But on the other side, not touching this topic is not an option. So it's so often used as a knockout argument that you have a ethical challenge, that you have a data privacy challenge, so we don't touch it. So this is a knockout argument which is not in the right place because we have to face it anyway. And there are also some ways to solve it and tackle it. So what you're saying is there are a lot of ethics involved, but even if we decide not to use AI for ourselves, the AI is out there and people are going to be using it on us. So it would be something that we have to be aware of anyway. Can you give us some examples of how emotional driven artificial intelligence exists today? And where do you see some of the biggest opportunities that we might encounter it? Yeah, there are so many fields right now. We have to think of emotion AI in a very early stage. So thinking of a hype cycle, it's really the early phase and the expectations are rising, but we have more and more use cases in place. Uh, Definitely the use case of security. So think of your car. So you enter the car and the car knows you're a little bit more aggressive than in the other times. And what you can do then is to adjust the driving assistance system to prevent accidents. For sure, in the healthcare area, it's to tackle psychological problems. It's to tackle your emotional fitness and emotional resilience. We have market research, which is probably the field of the early adopters because market research uses, for example, facial expression analysis as a feedback channel. If you watch TV sport, for example, How is the emotional activation of the viewer watching this spot? But other areas are also in place, such as customer service or customer experience. If you want to know when people are using digital services, how they feel while they're using the digital services. And last but not least, also a safety topic in the area of employee experience. Think of occupational safety. There's so many accidents still left due to being overburdened or underburdened, not concentrated, which is causing many of these occupational accidents, which could be prevented if we have a sort of a companion assistant system, which helps us to identify these moments when persons are overburdened or underburdened. So this sounds all well and good, but for this kind of data that you want to go into, you kind of need to have active consent. How do you get employees to buy into something like this? And how do you get people to want to do this within the company? It's about biometric data. And we all know that biometric data is protected, especially also according to GDPR and other rules and laws. But there is an active way to manage opt-in and consent in different levels. And that's, I think, very important to explain. First of all, you could keep your emotions for yourself and saying, I don't opt in, I don't give my emotions to anybody. This has to be possible, actually. Then another level is that you use emotion detection for yourself in order to improve. So that's the idea of quantified self. You also know from fitness tracker that you use the data to improve yourself. 
The third level is that you allow machines to read your emotions. For example, your car. And this may then be helpful to, to prevent accidents. So that's the third level to give your emotions to uh, machines. And you also have to, to give a consent here. And last but not least, the fourth level is, do you allow to share your emotions with others? Could be a client, could be the customer, or you ask the customer to share the emotions with you. So this is the fourth level of consent. So we have these levels of consent, which can and have to be actively managed. And this is quite important because you cannot record a video and just retrieve the emotions from that without having the consent. The exception is if you're in a market research area where you in most of the time have the active consent. There are also some other approaches right now. So Tony launched a new live emotion stream where the emotions of the participants, for example, of large video conferences or streams or online events, they're analyzed, but they're analyzed voluntarily. They're analyzed completely anonymized afterwards, and it's data protected because it's based on edge computing. So it's on device and the, the pictures or videos, they don't leave your computer or go into a cloud. To make it short, there is a way to manage all the different levels you need for the consent in all these different use cases. Okay, so we talked about these four different levels of consent and how that that would work. What kind of observations can artificial intelligence-driven emotion tech provide that other metrics-driven approaches cannot? Because obviously you're creating a lot of data here. What kind of observations can they apply? It's a completely new sort of measurement because it's a so-called implicit measurement. This can be compared to an explicit measurement, you know, from service, so satisfaction service or net promoter score and so on. So the thing is, if you measure something with a survey, it's aggregated and you only have one value. If we're talking about implicit measurement, you get a second-by-second second measurement. And this is not possible with the explicit measurement of service, for example. So this is a huge advantage that you get in real time, second-by-second, second, the analytics of emotions. And this is important if you think of a TV spot, or if you uh, measure the feedback on a new product concept, or if you're testing user experience of a new website or something like this, you get a second-by-second real-time feedback. And this is right now not possible with other techniques which are known such as surveys. In which situations do we actually interact with one another and where do emotions play a role and a fundamental example or use case? So this is, of course, the classical negotiation situation where you maybe have an RFP out there because you are managing a certain spend category every other year or in certain intervals you actually place this on the market and you will get different offers and you also, of course, want to ensure that competition is triggered at the category groups that are out there that you manage. And at some point of time then during this process, you end up negotiating with 
with a different list of suppliers. And this is then, of course, an example where you as a buyer would, and this is only true if you look unbiased into this question, if you just look into purely the question, can this technology be of use for you as a buyer there? Yes, we think it could be of use because you could use this technology as a second support, as an assistant, if you want to call it like this, to help you trying to assess the situation also in real time. The natural thing to do there in our view would be to test this in this so-called protected environment to enable your procurement managers to really become better there within an internal setting with maybe other colleagues where you in a training situation do then role plays and try to get better yourself in reading other people by having the support of an additional source that actually can tell you that your counterpart right now is not very positive about what you've just said. That's a lot of great examples of how we can see it in an employee experience standpoint. How does emotion enter in in a business context? How do we expect to see that from a business side? I mean, negotiation seems like an obvious place where we might see it, but where else? I think there are many places. I mean, we do it as a technology company because it's technically possible, because We are curious, we are researchers, so we want to drive this topic forward because we think it will be part, definitely uh, a huge part of, of our future. But for companies, as you said, I mean, companies have to focus on value creation. And in the company, there has to be a person or a department who sees the value in such an application. If you think in human resources or safety departments, I mean, what we want to do is to decrease sick leaves, to make less mistakes, to decrease also occupational accidents, as I said, from a customer service perspective. It's more or less about, you know, higher success rates of sales calls, for example. A huge field will actually be the development of smart products. So think of, I don't know, a smart TV. You're watching a streaming service, Netflix or Amazon. And if the smart TV knows how you feel, it can actually produce better recommendations and will offer you also movies or certain programs which you like more. It's an R&D topic to invent new features to serve better the needs of the potential consumers. Also, in the business context, early adopter group is definitely market research because emotion AI research software can be much more cost-effective and also could be more valid in the approach because it's an implicit measurement of emotions rather than an explicit measurement if you think of service, for example. So in market research, it has a cost aspect in itself, but also a measurement aspect. Bringing it back to cost, Florian, you work in procurement. Can you give us an idea of where you see this happening in your space? If you think about this and all what Michael said is right, I mean, if this is really applicable, this technology, whenever two humans are interacting, you can actually expand this to a lot of different scenarios or think about in which areas supporting humans with a technology would result in, for example, better decision taking or taking better decisions or getting better results. So you mentioned it very briefly. One example where this technology could be used is in the context of negotiations with your suppliers, with your business partners. 
Of course, they also have this topic of the ethical questions and concerns and thoughts around this. And this is also why we said when we talk to our clients about what kind of technology is actually out there, how can I also make use of this technology to ideally support better decision taking, for example, where we then said, well, you know, let's start small. Let's try to have this as an offer for support for your employees. Think about a negotiation training context. We have a lot of clients where we do projects and uh, prepare departments that very frequently offer training formats for their strategic buyers to really excel and become better in negotiation. So that would be a very interesting example where this technology could be used in a protected environment, basically, not talking to external business partners, but in an internal environment to enable your employees to get better at reading your counterpart, for example. So where and should commercial discussions be had with the companies when integrating these into their products? How should we do that? I think emotion AI and the technology is rather in the beginning. So the many use cases we have, they are also just starting now. I do not know too many products where it's integrated on a really, really large scale. So we are starting right now with demonstrators, with the early projects in this, and for, us, for sure also with the first software packages. But it will still take a while until it's really at a large scale. And this will definitely happen in the future because it's a broader sense. We have to think of Emotion AI as also basic innovation because the interaction of machines, robots, digital systems with us humans will totally change because when machines, robots, and digital systems know how we feel, they can adapt their behavior. They are getting more emotional intelligence. And if you're thinking in a couple of years from now, we will have more than 70 billion connected devices. It could be a computer, it could be the car, whatever. And they will have sort of sensory organs, because many of these devices have microphones as ears, cameras as eyes, and they will become more emotional intelligent. So it's not about single business context alone. I think it's a very basic innovation, which will change so much as the world around us will become emotionally intelligent. And that's also the basic idea, because in the past, we as humans many times adapt according to the technology or think of industrialization on the production process. So we had to adapt to the production process. In the future, if things will be emotional intelligent, and the machines and the processes can adapt to us. And that's a really fundamental idea of emotion AI, that the interaction with technology will definitely change. You're talking about the production process. Florian, can you tell me ideally at what point you should integrate these systems into your supply chain? Yeah, well, actually, I think in the supply chain, there is still some research and some investigation to be done to really assess how we can best leverage the technology. I mean, Michael mentioned some process in the production process when you talk about emotionally intelligent uh, machines, for example, that can then also help to avoid certain errors to be made. 
What we're looking at the procurement area is more into providing assistance to buyers, for example, to really provide a negotiation assistance to these managers to enable them to take better decisions, basically, for the business. And that's something that we see more realistic to also happen in the next years. You always get this question, this technology is there, what can I do with this? Do others already use it? We already discussed and touched a little bit on the ethical questions around this. We believe it's really important for companies to at least have a look into the capabilities and the potential of this technology and then take a decision as to whether they want to start applying this or maybe not. And uh, if not, that's, of course, also a fair answer and decision that can be taken. But we believe it's very important that you know what's out there because others could actually already use it or others will be using it in the next months to years. And you might be confronted with that in uh, a context uh, when talking to your supplier are your clients. We know that it's out there and we've heard about some positive use cases, but is there anything that you would say that we shouldn't be using this stuff for? Any failures that you've seen happen or mistakes that people have made or bad advice that we've given? One of these misconceptions that I often hear, it does not work. It does work in most of the times, but it's about probabilities. And if you have a use case where you need 100% probability, then sometimes maybe it's not the right tool to apply. But this is one misconception, definitely. Other challenges we also experience is that there's a huge curiosity and at the same time, a lot of skepticism around this new technology. And we really have to fight sometimes to convince it's not that easy to get the projects. It often takes weeks and months to convince potential clients to try this out. And there are always the probability that you also fail if you're doing such innovation projects. So we are in the early stage and we're looking for risk-taking and innovative managers which want to try out such a new tech, which is much more important for us than the use case itself because it doesn't matter if it's HR or automotive or another field of application. You need a counterpart who says, I want to try this out. I see the huge potential for the future. I mean, in two, three, four, five years from now, and we have to start with this because we all know the AI game is about um, constant development and not waiting until something is here and then you take it out of the stock, but you have to develop it over the years. And now it's the time to start with this. So how should somebody start with this? How can companies get started with this? The easiest way is always to try out on a small scale. So you need to involve employees, you need to convince employees, you have to be for sure also very solid regarding the ethical dimensions, regarding the consent, if you have the videos, so and if you involve external partners or clients or customers, you need their consent. So you should start with small projects. Start with trial projects. You should start uh, applying uh, software programs and algorithms which already exist in order to try this out on a large scale, on education, on training or whatever. And then going forward then to the next step, because the next step would be to integrate this into a product or process. But first, you need some application experience and some 
specific skills to wind up on then getting from these small-scale projects to larger projects or embedded systems. I think it's important to also not only do the expectation management about the pros, but also shortfalls of the solution when it comes to probabilities, what Michael just mentioned before. Of course, that's a vital element to be understood also by the companies that want to test these kinds of concepts. But I think another element to also maybe take away the fear or the skepticism of the people, of the employees working for that corporations is to understand that artificial intelligence itself is not a new thing. Also, if you talk about supply chain context, if you talk about the procurement, I don't know, introducing chatbots, for example, for certain processes for a long time. And we've talked about introducing a virtual assistance for the last year. So there's already a lot of processes that are basically supported by elements of artificial intelligence. Now, of course, emotional intelligence now is taking this a little bit to the next level, involving your emotion, your very personal elements. But if you understand that this is actually a development that has already started quite some time ago, that a lot of corporates are already using a lot of AI-based tools and techniques to become better, to be supported in certain processes. I think that also helps maybe taking away that skepticism, which is, on the other hand, a good thing to have because it's vital to take a decision as a company to say whether we want to be testing this or we have good reasons not to do this. How would you give us an example about any of stories and any lessons learned that you've had over the years from trying to do this kind of a thing? What have you learned from actually applying artificial intelligence, Florian, in the procurement space? I think one of the big learnings is that companies need to, or at least we recommend our clients to answer this question around how do we want to use this? How open are we to use and to try and test this technology? Because there's reasons to say that they should not maybe be used at this point of time in an external use right now. That's definitely one thing to really think about taking first small steps. That's something we discuss very frequently with our clients. Have a protected environment first before trying to scale this and maybe also to leverage it. And also another experience that we have is that if you think purely about what other areas or functions could also be interested in in using this technology, of course, you also at some point of time end up with HR, with recruiting all these processes. But that's then a question that you need to answer for yourself first, and whether you want to go this way, whether you want to use this technology right now for these kind of profits. So these are very frequent discussions we tend to have. At the same time, what our experience is really that there's a big interest from a lot of cross-sector companies in this technology because uh, there are certain procurement departments that have started a digitization, a digital transformation initiatives already 10, 15 years ago by automating processes, for example. And they're now trying to really think about what's actually next, what we can do. And on the other hand, there's others that are not that far advanced yet. So it's always a little bit the question where you are on your digital transformation roadmap as a procurement function. We've been at a very high level for this discussion, and I would love to hear from you, Michael, about a client story and how you worked with the client and what the experience was. Where were the unforeseen challenges? There are different sorts of projects we did. There are also some reasons about that. So one client story is actually used it together with Red Bull and the Austrian professionals, pro-athletes in biathlon, and we used Emotion AI in order to predict if the athlete is going to hit the target or not, before he shoots, actually. 
this is a process and also a result which could improve the training. And there are so many challenges technology-wise to collect all the data of the athletes and then to derive algorithms which really could predict if the person is going to hit the target or not, which really worked very, very well. So we could add, you know, some probabilities into the TV streams and say this uh, athlete is going to hit the target now with an 85% probability. This was a very innovative approach. It was a very outstanding project, I would say. But we also see to, to bring it more in the mass, we have to offer a different kind of access to Emotion AI. That's why we developed a self-service product, actually. So it's a platform where you upload videos and then the videos get analyzed. There are many clients which can use this platform for their own. and They use it to test TV spots, they use it to test professional media, they use it to test UX, they use it to test new apps they create. So they have, you know, the own control to use this software without having large projects with uh, service providers um, or without having large projects with other market research institutes. And so these are sort of different categories of projects. So you have these software-based projects where companies could use our software as a do-it-yourself type of style, or you have really these innovative scenarios where you predict things that you thought you were never able to predict the hit rate of pro athletes in biathlons. Wow, that is really, really interesting. Now, if we go over to the business side of it, maybe Florian, who within an organization should be leading a kind of initiative to put in AI? Obviously, there's a technical component, but there also seems to be a human angle that needs to be addressed. Yeah, and I think it needs to be a combination of both. It needs to be, on the one hand, the functional side that also sees the potential in this technology and sees the potential in driving this forward. But the human resource aspect needs to be considered. On the other hand, also the IT department needs to be taken along that journey to ensure that proof of concept that you would actually do in the first place would actually work out well. Depending on what function you actually would talk to, if you go back to procurement supply chain, it would typically be these kinds of governance functions that also serve a little bit as procurement innovation capabilities within a company. So thinking about how to further develop the organization, what tools and techniques to apply next. These would be uh, the mix of functions that you would tend to talk to when thinking about these kinds of initiatives. So gentlemen, what's the future of this technology? What will it be combined with? I think the future of the technology has to make one point that AI is not a standalone solution replacing humans. And this is in many cases the fear I sense when talking to people that's always coming down to, oh, this is going to replace me or what I do. That's actually not the case. We have to deal with artificial intelligence always as an assistance system. The same with emotion AI. It's an assistance system. So if you have a very important decision to make in your life or business, you should never rely alone on artificial intelligence. On the other side, I would say if artificial intelligence is in place, you should never rely alone on a human decision or human-made decision. The best thing you can do is combine 
those things. Think of your pocket calculator. You know that the calculator can make the calculations much better than you can do it uh, in your head. So please use both and make a combination out of this and this will create the most value and don't use it as a standalone solution. It has to be embedded also in the human part. It's important to understand that this technology is out there and whenever technology is out there, it, it will be used. I think the question that you as a corporate need to answer is, do you want to actually be one of the front runners saying, I want to um, make use of this technology, maybe also before other companies start uh, on that journey? Or is it fair enough if you say, this is something where I currently do not see the huge benefits, so I will not become active. But I think it's important to understand what is actually out there and this technology is out there. So sooner or later, you will also be confronted either actively or passively if you then are confronted by suppliers or client sites or somebody else using this in a couple of years from now. So I think that's the key question that you need to answer as a corporate. If you have answered that question, it's also very clear what's next steps you will actually take. Exactly. Think of your employees and how they work. Can you support them with emotion AI tools in order that they can increase mental fitness, that they have a more uh, safe uh, workplace and work environment? Then think of your products you produce. Can they be much more emotionally intelligent to serve the needs of the consumers better? And it's a new way also to read consumers' decisions and to improve the research we've done now since decades. Now it's the shift to have also new research methods in place, which are never as developed as right now, as supported by artificial intelligence. By allowing artificial intelligence to tap into a core mechanic of who we are, we expose new opportunities in how we work. This, of course, raises big questions about data privacy and the level of measurement required to create real-world solutions. A big thank you to Michael and Florian. You can find out more about them and their work in the show notes. If you've enjoyed this episode, please make sure you follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find podcasts. This podcast was brought to you by Capgemini Invent. We'll see you soon.